It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 227 for January 30th, 2011. Recorded January 28th. Being an old broadcast journalism guy, I remember when recording interviews in the field required lugging a reel-to-reel recorder, tapes, and microphones to the scene. Maybe a Wallensack 1500, price about $300 in 1965 dollars. That was when gasoline cost a quarter or so a gallon. In the late 1960s, cassette recorders came along, and digital recorders of various types. Today, you can record high-quality on-scene audio using a recorder that costs only about $100 and might be smaller than the microphone you take along. Wallensack was a 3M company, and I owned one of the recorders way back when. It was a two-track monaural device that was intended to allow users to lay down a second track adjacent to the primary track. It was really intended for language labs, I think. One problem was that there was no way to hear the primary track when recording the second track. In the late 1960s, when I found myself working at a radio station in Fort Wayne, Indiana, we were issued astonishing new devices to record audio in the field, Sony cassette recorders, and they were battery-powered. Earlier this year, on the 9th of January, I presented an interview with librarians Monica Bachman and Susan Allen. The interview was recorded using an AKG C1000S microphone. I've used that microphone for more than a decade. It's done a lot of traveling with me. And a new Tascam DR07 digital recorder. Both of these and the microphone stand that I put the microphone on fit in a case that's far smaller and a lot lighter than just the old Wallensack recorder all by itself. If you're at all interested in audio, you might be interested in a microphone like the AKG C1000S. It requires phantom power, which is provided by a 9-volt internal battery. That's handy. I use a windscreen to improve the audio quality. It's relatively rugged. It's, as I said, traveled with me a lot from coast to coast, and it performs very well worked up close in noisy environments. When I bought the microphone, I got an outstanding deal because the company I bought it from had ordered it for a client who never came back to pick it up. Instead of about $300, which is today's price, I think I paid about $150 for it. But the real star right now is this Tascam DR07. The recorder is smaller and lighter than the microphone. A single 8-gigabyte memory card provides up to three hours of high-quality, uncompressed audio. Price? $98.99. The Tascam DR07 will record both high-quality WAV files at 44.1 or 48 kilohertz, 16 or 24-bit depth, or it'll record MP3 files at 32 kilobytes per second or 320 kilobytes per second. The WAV file quality actually exceeds what can be recorded on a standard CD. Presented as the ideal recorder for a musician, it is by far the most capable field recording device I have ever owned. When you need to record extremely long sessions, load up an 8-gigabyte memory card and record using the MP3 format. But for the highest possible quality, use the WAV format at 48 kHz sampling 
and 24-bit depth. Built-in stereo microphones and a windscreen might lead you to believe that this device can be hand-held during recording. It can't. Well, actually it can, but you won't like the results. Every vibration that reaches the case will be transmitted to the microphones and recorded. The mics will work if you place the recorder on a soft, isolated surface, but a better solution is to use an external microphone. There's a line-in jack and a line-out jack that doubles as a headphone jack. You'll also find a USB port to copy files directly to a computer for digital processing. That alone is a real plus for broadcast journalists. In the old days, audio transfers were real-time. If you covered a news conference that was 20 minutes long, loading the audio from it took 20 minutes. Now it takes 20 seconds. Some people might be surprised to find there's no speaker. Tascam decided, and correctly, I think, that a small, low-quality speaker in the case would add needless weight and bulk. Anyone who's interested in audio quality, and that's the target market for this device, would simply use headphones. Tascam offers several similar devices, including the DR100. It includes two XLR microphone inputs. This is a $300 device, and it is aimed at the high end. These devices do more than just live audio, though. In the early 1970s, the movie Fool's Parade was made in Wheeling, West Virginia. That was about the time I left WIFE in Indianapolis to become news director at WOMP in Bel Air, Ohio. Some of us referred to it as Radio Free Wheeling because it covered the wheeling market. And my father-in-law-to-be, although I had no idea of that at the time, was an extra in the movie and actually a stand-in for George Kennedy. My wife had an old cassette recording of a radio program in which he described the event, and she wondered if I could make a CD from the audio. Well, of course. Most computers have only limited audio input capabilities, and capturing real-time audio from a cassette player would have been less than ideal. But the DR07 has a line input that accepts either line level or amplified signals, such as those from a cassette player that doesn't include a line-out option. So I was able to record a high-quality digital audio stream from a cassette player on the Tascam DR07. Then I copied the resulting WAV file from the Tascam to the computer, performed some cleanup work with Adobe Audition, and burned a CD for my wife and her brother. Because the audio was in digital format from the time I recorded it on the DR07, the additional processing was lossless in terms of audio quality. I also found on the other side of the tape several segments with my father-in-law playing the violin and speaking, or sometimes singing, in Polish. If you want to hear the audio from either of those, you'll find it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And this program started on the DR07. In fact, for the past several weeks, each podcast has started on the DR07. Since the beginning of the year, I've done that instead of recording direct to disc. The resulting audio seems to be better, even though I'm using the same sampling, bitrate, and depth rate that I'd be using on the computer. Maybe this is because I enable a plus 450 hertz filter. When the recording is complete, all I need to do is copy it to the computer. I do record in WAV format so the file is clean, edit it, and combine with the open, close, and bumper tracks that are part of the Adobe Audition multitrack file. The bottom line, if you enjoy recording audio, this is for you. I'm astonished that $100 will buy a digital recorder that can handle 24-bit audio. 
The built-in microphones aren't worth trying to use because of the noise transmitted from the case, but it's easy enough to add an external microphone, and you don't have to pay a lot for one. You can find a good, serviceable, rugged microphone for about $50. For more information about the Tascam DR07, visit the Tascam website. You'll find a link to it, of course, from the TechBiter Worldwide website. If you have listened to me yammer about photo editing programs, you already know that my opinion of layer masks has changed a lot. Years ago, I didn't get it. But when I eventually realized that layer masks are the key to creating non-destructive edits that can be modified or removed at any time, I joined the chorus that sings the praise of layers. But layers weren't available in Photoshop Elements, which is sometimes called Photoshop for the rest of us. The latest version of Elements has layers. Adobe keeps adding features to Photoshop Elements, features that previously were available only in the full version the one favored by photographers and design professionals. The big dog still is Photoshop, but amateurs who can't afford Photoshop or don't want to work with all those controls have to be delighted to see that Elements continues to improve. I found a couple of images from a recent trip to the Franklin Park Conservatory and thought they might work well together if I combined them. One was a fish swimming in a pond near some Dale Chihuly glass artwork, and I had a picture of the glass globes that Chihuly had donated to Columbus. What if I combined those images so that the fish was swimming between the glass globes? Well, that certainly would call for a layer mask. To add a layer mask, you need a layer. So that means the background image has to be converted to a layer. That's as easy as right-clicking the background marker and selecting Convert to Layer. After adding a layer mask, I selected the mask and painted with a black brush to remove everything but the fish. Now, the important thing to remember here is this isn't destroying the background. It's masking it away, and I can always get the background back anytime I want it. Then, with the glass layer open, I dropped the fish on top and moved the layer to position the fish between the two globes. The size was wrong, the angle was wrong, the fish appeared to be swimming above the water. So I rotated the fish a bit, reduced the size somewhat, Then I added some transparency so the fish would appear to be beneath the water. Time to complete that? Less than 10 minutes. And I remind you, this is Photoshop Elements, the one you can get for less than $100. If you have a website, it's probably on a server with dozens, hundreds, or maybe even thousands of other websites. Your domain and all of the other domains, potentially thousands, share the same IP address. Name server routing tables direct all requests for any of the domains to the same location, and then it's up to software at the server to sort out the various requests. Most of the time, that system works fine, but not always. TechBiter's IP address is 69.89.31.245, which is also the IP address for several other sites that I operate and thousands of other sites that I'm not associated with in any way. The server is in Utah, home of a company called Bluehost. Who else is on my server, I wondered? Well, to find out, I issued a special kind of search command, and there's a link to that search command from the TechBiter Worldwide website. It actually uses Microsoft's Bing search engine, which I found works better than Google for this exercise. 
The IP address is used for all Internet services, web, email, FTP, FTPS, Telnet, SSH, and so on and so on and so on. Most of the time, there's no problem with this, but sometimes a hosting company signs up a client that doesn't want to play by the rules. Bluehost is very good when it comes to terminating the service of those bad actors. But by the time Bluehost can discover the problem and take action, it could be too late. The IP address may already have been blacklisted. Now, blacklisting isn't a terrible problem. In fact, for most Internet protocols, blacklisting isn't any kind of problem at all. It is a problem for email. Vigilante groups that maintain email blacklists use the IP address. So if one person on the server is responsible for 69.89.31.245 being blacklisted, all of the other domains that use that IP address will also have trouble sending their email. And sometimes you might not even know that your messages have been blocked, no matter how important they are. Most blacklists remove an IP address from the list after 72 hours, but if you don't notice that some email servers are discarding your messages, you'd have no way to know that they're not getting through. And unfortunately, sometimes a system simply deletes a message without informing anybody, sender or receiver. The solution is easy enough and not very expensive. Have your hosting service set up your accounts on a dedicated IP address. The Columbus Dispatch, for example, has a dedicated IP address, and I have another link that you can use to check that out. It again goes through Bing and uses a special search command. If you follow the link, you'll find several pages of domain names, but they're all owned by the Dispatch. Another reason exists for using a dedicated IP address if your site has a shopping cart and your payment transaction application is on your server, you'll need a dedicated IP address to obtain a security certificate so that your site's traffic will be encrypted and protects it from being observed. A dedicated IP address usually costs about $30 a year. For what it's worth, TechBiter Worldwide does not have a dedicated IP address. Not yet, anyway. Something I've been considering, and I have a feeling that next year, at this time, if you were to ask me, I would say, yes, I have a dedicated IP address. In Short Circuits, last week I mentioned a couple of point-and-shoot cameras, but I didn't mention that they both lack an optical viewfinder. Very few low-end cameras have even the most basic optical viewfinder today. And because my habits are as firmly entrenched as anybody else's, I was distressed about that. I didn't mention it because I thought I might be the only person who missed viewfinders, but a reader sent me a note. I noticed that the new Canon camera for your briefcase has no viewfinder. It seems that no point-and-shoot camera has a viewfinder. This disappoints me seriously. I must be the only one. I haven't seen anybody else complain about it. What can we do if we despise trying to use the screen but want a camera? <laughs> well, here was my reply. That's right, and it annoyed me too. Note the past tense. The viewfinder makes it easier to hand-hold a slow exposure, but a display panel makes it easier to compose a shot at arm's length. And the more I use the Canon, the less distressed I am about the lack of a viewfinder. My reader responded by saying that maybe he could learn that too. Perhaps the display panel on today's digital cameras could be compared to the ground glass back on Ansel Adams' 8x10 camera. His composition has rarely been faulted. And that's true. My response was that the problems are the same. In bright light, it's hard to see a viewfinder or a ground glass back. My younger daughter, the graphic designer, isn't bothered by the lack of a viewfinder, and her sense of composition is almost always far better than mine. 
You and I may miss the viewfinder, but I suspect we will find a way to work without it. Last week, I sent invitations to all TechBiter Worldwide subscribers to join me on LinkedIn, and a lot of people did. Some subscribers also asked questions that I felt were insightful and worth sharing. John Kennedy, for example, said, and I quote, I've had a couple of other people ask me to join them in LinkedIn. I would have no problem with an invite coming from you, but I wonder what advantages joining up would have for someone like me that's retired. I know what people see or don't see in some of the other social networks, but what about a business-oriented social network? Well, that, as I told John, is a very good question. My first thought was that LinkedIn would be a good way to maintain or reestablish connections with former coworkers. I'm not retired, but LinkedIn has helped me to find many people I've worked with over the years. Sometimes the connection is limited to a series of catch-up messages, and other times we continue chatting with each other long after the initial series of messages. For those who are still in the workforce, other advantages include the ability to learn about new employment opportunities, join groups that are related to your business role, and generally develop a network that isn't limited by geography. As I said to a business acquaintance in Hong Kong, and I've never been to Hong Kong, one of the coolest things about the Internet is that I can now say I know people all around the world. So maybe that's it. The ability to keep in touch with old friends and co-workers and the option to reach out to friends and your friends' friends to become friends with some of their acquaintances if they share some of your interests. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.